The following broadcast is released under a Creative Commons license. I believe in Jesus Christ, the only Son of God. I believe He lived and died, and that He rose again. I believe and trust in Him. Ascended into hell, Christ our living head will one day come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe and trust in Him. I will trust in my Redeemer, sing of His love that lasts. Pastor Yeshua. You've been listening to Creed by Richard Jensen from his album, Order of Service. By way of introduction, pastor is an acrostic which stands for preaching all salvation through one Redeemer. Our Redeemer, Yeshua, Jesus, is the Hebrew name for the Lord. It means Yahweh, the Lord, is salvation. Translated from Hebrew into the Greek language, the name Yeshua becomes Jesus. The English transliteration for Jesus is Jesus. This program deals with apologetics, questions on and about God, the Bible, and the Christian faith. I take questions and seek by Scripture to give answers and encouragement for everyone, including the tough-minded living in today's skeptical society. And now, let's join Pastor Yeshua. Welcome to Pastor Yeshua. In the previous episodes, we began to ask and answer various classic questions about death, hell, and the afterlife. Our goal was and is to provide correct definitions and a biblical worldview framework from which we can biblically define and understand various words and terms commonly used regarding death, hell, and the afterlife, which oftentimes cause some confusion. More importantly, our goal is to allow God's truth and reality to provide tangible hope and joy for our eternal future for those who would by His grace be called to do so. In the previous episodes, we identified 14 terms for definition and discussion. At this point, we have largely defined and discussed the first two terms, death and the intermediate state. In this episode, we continue with questions, definitions, and discussion regarding the remaining 12 terms, including sleep, grave, 
Sheol, Hades, Gehenna, Tartarus, Paradise, Abraham's Bosom, Hell, Purgatory, Lake of Fire, and Heaven. With this in mind, let's return to our vocabulary and terminology list and proceed to define the following terms according to a proper biblical world and life view. 3. Sleep Now here our goal is to define and discuss the word sleep and its variant forms, sleeper, sleepest, slumber, asleep, so forth, as translated from Hebrew and Greek as used in the Old and New Testaments. So, for example, in the Old Testament, we would find the Hebrew words tardama, spelled T-A-R-D-A-M-A, meaning deep sleep, trance, or inertness, used seven times. Radam, spelled R-A-D-A-M, to be asleep, be unconscious, or heavy sleep, used seven times. Rashan, Y-A-S-H-A-N, to sleep, be asleep, or to fall asleep, used 19 times. Shakab, S-H-A-K-A-B, to lie, to lie down, sleep, rest, lean, or relax, used 213 times. Shana, S-H-E-N-A-H, meaning to sleep, used 23 times. Hazah, spelled H-A-Z-A-H, meaning to sleep, dream, talk in one's sleep, rave, or rambling, used one time. And Noom, spelled N-U-W-M, meaning to be drowsy, slumber, or sleep, used six times. Moving to the New Testament, we find hypnos, spelled H-Y-P-N-O-S, meaning sleep, used six times. Cathudo, spelled K-A-T-H-E-U-D-O, to lie down, to rest, or fall asleep, used 23 times. Comeo, K-O-I-M-A-O, meaning to cause to sleep or put to sleep 19 times, and hephypno, spelled H-P-H-Y-P-N-O-O, meaning to fall asleep or to fall off to sleep, used one time. Now additionally, we are also dealing with the Greek word komeo, which we saw from episode 2, was a word translated sometimes as death, but has the meaning to sleep, fall asleep, or be dead, and was used 19 times. So in the case of these 11 words, it is clear that both in the Old and New Testaments, when these Hebrew and Greek words are used, the intent of the writer is to convey the idea of sleep. When we say sleep and its variants, We are talking about the condition of a person's body and mind, such as that which typically reoccurs for several hours every night, in which the nervous system is relatively inactive, the eyes are closed, the muscles are relaxed, and consciousness is suspended. In consulting several Greek scholars regarding the Greek word komeo, 
The almost unanimous understanding is that during Jesus' day, the Greek and Jewish culture had begun to oftentimes use kameo, as well as other Hebrew and Greek words sometimes translated as quote-unquote sleep. It is clear that the reason behind this was not because either the Jews or Greeks were attempting to literally say that death was in fact sleeping, or that sleeping was death. Instead, the common understanding was that the use of the original terms translated quote-unquote sleep when in fact they were dealing with physical death, was as a metaphor intended as a softening euphemism to avoid the emotional bluntness and the reality of physical death amidst one's friends, family, and loved ones. Secondly, the physical appearance of a person's corpse lying in quiet, still repose with the eyes closed, closely mirrored the appearance of a person in the state of sleep. Lastly, in the course of normal physical sleep, the one sleeping was expected to eventually arise and awaken from sleep to their normal activities. Likewise, both the Jewish and Christian cultures of the Bible had the expectation that those who physically died would eventually face a physical resurrection of their body, after which those whose resurrected bodies would rejoin their spirit-slash-soul, and they would face reward or judgment for eternity. This process, although admittedly extended in some cases, nonetheless mirrored the process and appearance of earthly sleep and reawakening. Thus, oftentimes, the word sleep was understood to be a colloquialism for this progression. However, we should take care not to confuse euphemisms, metaphors, or colloquialisms in the culture of biblical literature as necessarily being literal doctrinal theology concerning the nature of man's physical and or spiritual status. Probably the best scripture which demonstrates, clarifies, and contrasts the use and differences between physical death and sleep are those uttered by Jesus himself. In the following three examples, Jesus uses different Greek words for death and sleep in the same sentence. For example, Matthew chapter 19 verse 18 Quote, While he spake these things unto them, behold, there came a certain ruler and worshipped him, saying, My daughter is even now dead, but come and lay thy hand upon her, and she shall live. Unquote. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 23 through 25, the incident continues. Quote, and when Jesus came into the ruler's house and saw the minstrels and the people making a noise, he said unto them, Give place, for the maid is not dead, but sleepeth. And they laughed him to scorn. But when the people were put forth, he went in and took her by the hand, and the maid arose." Unquote. Mark chapter 5, verses 38 through 42, quote, 
And he cometh to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and seeing the tumult, and them that wept and wailed greatly. And when he was come in, he saith unto them, Why make you this ado, and weep? The damsel is not dead, but sleepeth. And they laughed him to scorn. But when he had put them all out, he taketh the father and the mother of the damsel, and them that were with him, and entered in where the damsel was lying. And he took the damsel by the hand, and said unto her, Talitha kumi, which is being interpreted, Damsel, I say unto thee, Arise. And straightway the damsel arose and walked, for she was of the age of twelve years, and they were astonished with great astonishment. Unquote. John chapter 11, verses 11 through 14. Quote, These things saith he, and after that he saith unto them, Our friend Lazarus sleepeth, but I go that I may awake him out of sleep. Then saith his disciples, Lord, if he sleep, he shall do well. Howbeit Jesus spake of his death. But they thought that he had spoken of taking rest and sleep. Then said Jesus unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead. Unquote. Now, in the first two examples of Matthew and Mark, Jesus uses a Greek word for sleep as a metaphor for death. In the second example of John, Jesus begins speaking to his disciples regarding the status of their friend Lazarus, who has been gravely sick. As Jesus starts the conversation, he uses a metaphor telling his disciples that Lazarus is sleeping. The disciples understand Jesus literally and begin to correct him by saying there is no reason to go and awake Lazarus from his sleep, since sleeping is beneficial, i.e. if he sleepeth, he doeth well. Mark then gives a parenthetical commentary to the reader to explain Jesus' use of a Greek word meaning sleep by saying that, in fact, Jesus meant death. The announcement ends with Jesus speaking plainly and clarifying that Lazarus is dead. What is significant is that the literal clarification that Lazarus is dead is the same Greek word as used in both Matthew chapter 9 verse 24 and Mark chapter 5 verse 39 which we discussed just previously. What all of this proves is that both Jewish culture and Jesus himself had the understanding that death had the appearance of sleep as previously mentioned and was often referred to by such Hebrew and Greek words, but the reality was that sleep was only a metaphor or euphemism to refer to physical death. In addition to the issue of the Bible using euphemisms, metaphors, and colloquialisms surrounding death and sleep, we also have to remember that whether we are talking about death or sleep, we also have to consider whether the terms in question are referring to the physical body or the soul slash spirit. 
Just because we may agree that a given term has a given definition doesn't always mean that we know whether that given term is referring to the physical body, the soul slash spirit, or both. The problem is complicated further by the fact that oftentimes the word spirit, soul, and body can themselves be euphemisms, metaphors, and colloquialisms. For example, even today, people may ask the question, how many people are living in that apartment complex? In some cultures, and using one euphemism, one answer might be to say, there are 24 souls living in that complex. Having said this, it is understood that no one literally means that the only things which are in the apartment complex are 24 disembodied souls. Instead, it is understood that there are 24 human beings who are alive, each of which have a body and a soul. This is just one example of how a word or a term in the Bible is not meant to be taken as a medical, legal, or anthropological encyclopedia. Rather, every term has to be considered within the larger context of what the entirety of Scripture has to say, guided by proper hermeneutical exegesis. The question arises then as to why there are some who read the Bible and teach that upon physical death, every person's soul slash spirit goes to sleep in the sense that the soul is unconscious, non-existent, or inert in the intermediate state. Further, these same or others would claim that at the conclusion of all things, when man faces his final state, those who do not make it to a positive outcome, i.e. heaven, will simply have their soul slash spirit cease to exist forever. The answer in large part is because those who originated this doctrine have certain biases which render them unable to grapple with the fact that man's spirit slash soul is eternal. Consequently, man's ultimate fate after death is eternal as well, whether it be reward or punishment. Most people, even the atheists, are comfortable with an eternal reward or with good things being the consequence in life or death. However, many, even those who would acknowledge the existence of God, begin to squirm and have an emotional aversion, being unwilling to acquiesce to the reality of eternal conscious punishment. Probably the main reason behind this is the inability on our part to recognize that God is sovereign in everything. Secondly, man is secure with the fact that God is love, he is graceful, merciful, kind, and forgiving. However, man is somewhat less happy with the fact that God is justice, righteousness, holiness, and purity. Our nature is such that we imagine that we can judge God and or God's ultimate authority is based upon our own ultimate authority and we question him accordingly. In the end, by imagining that God puts people's souls to sleep, uncreating or annihilating a soul out of existence, 
that allows God to remain loving and kind in the mind of man. Conversely, some imagine that by God allowing some to reap conscious eternal consequences for what they have sown means that God is not loving or kind. But the truth is that in order for God to be sovereign and to demonstrate every aspect of his perfect nature perfectly, God demonstrates each and all of his attributes according to his own perfect sovereign will. As was demonstrated in the first episode of this series, the doctrine of soul sleep or conditional immortality is manifestly made false by the Bible many times. We already mentioned the examples of the transfiguration with Moses and Elijah with Jesus. We examined Lazarus and the thief on the cross and the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. However, in an abundance of caution, Look at the example of Matthew chapter 22, verse 32. Quote, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living, unquote. Here we must point out that at the time Jesus quoted this, Jesus had not been crucified, nor had he ascended. Further, there was no rapture or resurrection from the dead. All of these things were future events. Yet, despite the fact that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had experienced physical death, God was still considered by Jesus, who is God, to be the God of these people who were alive. So, If they have become inner memories without consciousness, or they have been annihilated or have ceased to exist, then how can they be said to be alive? The only explanation is that these people's souls slash spirits have to be alive and conscious in some intermediate state. Being asleep, unconscious, or non-existent would not qualify them for being quote-unquote, living. So, what we can summarize thus far is that based on what we know of God's progressive revelation of Scripture is that every man faces the specter of physical death as a consequence of the onset of sin and rebellion at the fall. Every man has a body as well as a soul-slash-spirit whose nature is corrupted and fallen by the same event. Every man's soul-slash-spirit remains corrupted and fallen until such time as God is pleased to draw, convict, convert, transform, justify, and sanctify progressively into the fullness and measure of Christ by His grace and imputed righteousness. Before John 19, verse 30, every man who physically died had their spirit-slash-soul enter into the immediate state where that soul-slash-spirit remain conscious of its existence and condition. After John chapter 19, verse 30, there was a change. One, 
those who have been sincerely drawn by the grace of God to repentance, reconciliation, fellowship, and an abiding relationship by faith in the finished work and imputed righteousness of Jesus as Lord, God, Savior, and King. These may physically die, but upon physical death, their spirit and or soul go immediately upon death to be present with God in eternity with all joy and no more sorrow, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 6-8, through 8, and others. 2. Those who ultimately reject Christ and his atoning work remain under the blanket curse of sin and the fall. Faith in and a relationship with Jesus and his finished work and or an abiding faith in God's covering grace is the only way to restore fellowship with God. A relationship with Jesus Christ through faith is the only way to quicken our soul slash spirit which is dead in sin. Therefore, those who reject Christ and or God's covering grace through faith will have the physical death of their body, and then, whether before John chapter 19, verse 30, or after, when they die, their soul slash spirit will continue in the intermediate state until the final judgment. Within this context, we understand thus far via God's revelation the following regarding death and sleep. 1. Death can be best understood as an unnatural, temporary condition imposed upon mankind by his sin and rebellion initiated at the fall. This death is universal and affects every man in one of the following ways. A. Every man will experience physical death until the rapture or until death is defeated. B. As a result of the fall, sin, and rebellion, every man's soul slash spirit is conditionally separated from fellowship with God by that sin. Further, according to Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 and Colossians chapter 2 verse 13, our soul slash spirit is dead in those sins and trespasses against God. C. Death, both physical and spiritual, remains the fate of every man until such time as God is pleased to bring new life to our spirit slash soul through his indwelling spirit given at the new birth as a result of a relationship with Christ by grace through faith in his finished work. Our physical bodies remain dead until God resurrects them and gives us a glorified body by the same means. 2. Sleep and its variant forms can mean two things. A. Literal sleep, as when the physical body of any person rests, the body becomes relaxed, inactive, and the person's consciousness is suspended for that period of time. And B. Metaphorical sleep, as when a person literally dies physically, but their appearance resembles a person who is physically asleep. Number four, grave. 
There are several Hebrew and Greek words which get translated as grave. For example, in the Hebrew, kebrua, spelled Q-E-B-U-W-R-A-H, meaning grave, sepulcher, burial, burial place, used 14 times. Shagath, S-H-A-H-G-H-A-T-H, meaning pit, destruction, grave, or corruption, used 23 times. Kibir, or kivir, spelled Q-E-B-E-R, or K-E-V-E-R, meaning grave, sepulcher, or burial place, used 67 times. And lastly, Sheol, spelled S-H-E-O-W-L, meaning Sheol, hell, grave, pit, or underworld, used 65 times. In the Greek, we have Nemnion, spelled M-N-E-M-E-I-O-N, meaning sepulcher, grave, tomb, or visible memorial, used 42 times. Minma, spelled M-N-E-M-A, meaning memorial, monument, sepulcher, or tomb, used one time. Taphos, spelled T-A-P-H-O-S, meaning burial, sepulcher, tomb, or grave, used seven times. And finally, Hades, spelled H-A-D-E-S, meaning Hades, grave, or death, used eleven times. Now, First of all, it should be noted that as a historical fact, including the Bible, that the common custom was that for Israelite Jewish people to bury their dead either in a grave, a man-made tomb, a cave, or some other similar situation where the physical body of the deceased would be preserved as best as possible for the greatest duration of time. This was because the Jews held to the theology and beliefs espoused by a biblical worldview, which expected and looked forward to a literal physical resurrection of the dead, which would occur at the final judgment at the end of the world. As a result, preserving the remains of the faithful who died was important in the Old Testament Jewish culture and later in the Judeo-Christian culture. Secondly, the Jewish culture, while giving high reference to the dead, at the same time had clear laws and customs which made the touching or contact with the dead an issue creating impurity and uncleanness for the living. The various laws of ceremonial uncleanness for the living making contact with the dead meant that the living would then be disqualified from participating in numerous activities until a certain amount of time passed or until certain rituals and rites of ceremonial cleansing were performed. Consequently, the importance of properly disposing of a dead body so as not to make accidental exposure possible was essential to the concept of Jewish holiness and 
and daily living within their community. So, a summary review of the various Hebrew and Greek words which are translated as grave give us a clear understanding that a grave is a place where the physical remains of those who have died are deposited. As stated, it can be a hole in the ground, a cave, a specially prepared vault, or other place used for interment. Simultaneously, it is understood via the same historical cultural records of the Bible, as well as the Jewish-Christian culture of the first century, that the soul-slash-spirit departs from the physical body at death. The physical body and or remains of the dead are buried or interred in the grave, and at that point, there is no life for our physical body while in the grave. The term grave is also a term used metaphorically as being synonymous for the general corruption of sin and rebellion which leads ultimately to death and all of its implications discussed previously. In short, the presence of death and every cemetery that we encounter serves to point out the end result of sin as well as man's need of a savior. The soul of man lives on after the physical death of the body and will always remain in a conscious state of being in the intermediate state already discussed. Now, going back to our list of Hebrew and Greek words for grave, as we look at the words, we must notice two words which are different from the rest. The first word is the Hebrew word sheol which gets translated as hell, grave, pit, or underworld some 65 times. The second word is the Greek word Hades, which gets translated as grave or death some 11 times. As we shall see in the upcoming episodes, although these words get variously translated by the English words grave, hell, pit, underworld, and death, both words are more properly understood in their cultural context as proper nouns with their own more specific understanding regarding the intermediate state of man. For the time being, however, this will conclude this episode. Please join me for part five of this series. Now, if you have any questions about God, the Bible, or the Christian faith, I would encourage you to send me an email at pastor underscore Yeshua at yahoo.com. That's P-A-S-T-O-R underscore Y-E-S-H-U-A at yahoo.com. Thank you for listening. Yeah.